Okay, so hello everyone and welcome back to the Formula One Talk. I'm your host Ari Bartaj and I'm joined by my co-host Harsh Vardana. Say hi. Hi. Hello. Okay, so as I'm sure all of you are aware of me keeping up with the world of Formula One, um, preseason testing got over last week. It was an unusually short test actually, only three days worth of testing total. Usually preseason testing is two weeks, but I think the FIA just introduced this two, this three-day system just to make things a little more interesting, shall we say. So moving on to what, what actually happened there. Um, so we can tell you that the fastest lap of the entire of the entire test was by Max Verstappen at the Bahrain Grand Prix track, a one minute twenty-eight second point nine six zero exactly. Um. So I guess now it's just any thoughts you have to. Right. So um. Right. So as we mentioned, right. Um. Red Bull, I think. Uh, okay. First of all. The entire preseason, uh, for I think there was a few. There's a few teams for the preseason. I think that it went really well for uh, uh, those teams. I think were Red Bull, um, McLaren, Red Bull and McLaren. Uh, Red Bull, obviously, um, with the new driver Sergio Perez, as well as McLaren having a new driver as well with Daniel Ricciardo. So obviously, both of them seem to adjust and seem to, you know be comfortable with the car making I think quite decent times um nothing uh, extraordinary but quite decent um Max Verstappen as previously mentioned did make the fastest lap time but yeah. I mean the goal of the preseason testing is more of you know to get more comfortable with your car to test the car to see if there's any issues with it and try fixing it before the upcoming race yeah and so I feel like the fastest lap doesn't have that much importance, but it does show that, you know, the Red Bull can go fast. And also, um, in short-term uh, run rates, I think Red Bull were the fastest cars out there, which is great to see. And they were uh, ahead by a considerable margin. And uh, for long-term run rates, I think they only came second to Mercedes, which is also very good. So I, I think we... I say that. I was looking at preseason testing and... In terms of the lap count, Mercedes racked up far fewer than, than Red Bull did, which it tells me that perhaps the, the, either A, the drivers were pushing as hard, or B, they were scared of pushing hard because cars seemed kind of fragile, actually. Like, yeah, yeah. Because like, um, did it, the Mercedes faced, Mercedes had a pretty shit test, well, dismal test more specifically. I mean, the first day they faced a gearbox issue that that limited them to the to the lowest lap count of the entire test mm -hmm. uh, of that day, at least. Um, the second day they were they were troubleshooting issues as well, with each driver only managing 58 laps. And the third day they they were barely getting anywhere close to Max Verstappen. Right, but I feel like um, a weekend-wise overall. I think Mercedes had a good weekend considering that they found issues and they fixed it, right? Because those are the important things. I right? suppose um, if they didn't have this preseason test, and suppose they just ran out their cars, they may have, like, you know, they could have, like, damaged the cars, which may have led to more, you know, money being spent, which is kind of useless. So I don't think it's really um, important that they this thing. And also, um, so... Other teams I'd like to talk about are Haas and Williams. Um, I think we ranked them bottom two. 
before we go to the bottom end of the field, I want to talk about Aston Martin and some of the more midfield teams, actually. Okay, right then. Okay, then let's go right to Aston Martin, I guess. Aston Martin, I feel, I mean, they had the second least amount of laps. So yeah, worrying. I mean, and in terms of actual drivers, Sebastian Vettel, their new driver, racked up only, I think, 117-something laps. Yes, yeah, it was it was really low. That's the lowest of any driver. In fact, the person who was just ahead of him was, ironically, last year's champion, Lewis Hamilton. Um, so that tells us a lot about the Mercedes power unit, but it's a bigger issue for Sebastian Vettel, actually. Because right. the thing is, I mean, he's the new driver. He has to get comfortable with the car. Exactly, but, yeah. Somebody uh, like... Um, not enough. 100 laps is nowhere near enough for that. Yeah, that's true. So that seems to be a problem for them. Um, on the other hand, for Alpha Tauri, another midfield team, I feel they did excellent. Um, I mean, Yuki Tsunoda definitely racking up... Just, Yuki was on another level. Like Sonoda was flying and yeah, he had a yeah yeah he had a great performance. He was less than a tenth behind Max Verstappen. But to be fair, he was using DRS most of the time. I mean, straight, obviously, but I mean, yeah. Given his experience, he did activate DRS a little early. Actually, it was confirmed he activated DRS just before the line, so that that would count against him. But but it's still it's still impressive, right, to see a new driver who has basically almost none, uh, no experience driving in that Formula 1 car. It's a completely new car. He gets used to it and he drove, which is really promising. Yuki Tsunoda showed amazing pace, uh, you know, on, especially on day three. I mean, he, he did spin quite a bit, but most people, but I'm willing to forgive it. And I think a lot of people are, because I mean, he's just trying to push. He's trying to figure out the limits of the car. Yeah, he's trying to find the ins and outs. That's, that's the whole purpose of, you know, the new drivers. Right, and uh, obviously his counterpart Pierre Gasly also had the most laps um, over the weekend, which yeah. uh, shows either two things. I believe it's um, just you know he just practicing more with his car, getting better with it. But uh, the other reason could be there could be like no issues with the car, right? Which is really excellent. It looks like the Honda, the Honda power unit is. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but fast and reliable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so... Considering yeah. how they ended this turbo hybrid era, that's... I mean, we should be clapping just because the unit, the power unit is fast and reliable. But the fact that it seems to be a little bit... I mean, this is actually surprising. I, it seems almost more powerful than the Mercedes unit, perhaps? I yeah, mean, possibly, right? Because the, that's, the, that's the interesting thing, right? Because it, obviously we saw the the top two drivers of the weekend were Max Verstappen and Yuki Tsunoda, right? But yeah. but I mean, I mean, if we're being really honest, we can't use this to judge the actual that power. Is, that is true. We have to look at the speed trap figures, and the, neither of us were able to find them. But the thing is, and honestly, the speed trap figures don't tell you anything anyway, because you have to take into account that the drivers will be on different aero setups, different, well, basically everything. So yeah, exactly. you can't really, like that is one thing you should remember about pre-season testing. You can talk all you want about it, but the simple fact is you can't make any positive, you can't make any good predictions on anything except for like a couple things. Number one being reliability, you can make a very good, you can make a very like um, solid prediction about how reliable a car will be. But you yep. cannot, and I mean this with absolute, with like 100% certainty, you cannot predict where a team will finish in the standings just by preseason testing alone. Yeah, that's correct. 
Um, right. So, um, another team which is probably going to be in the midfield, Alpine. Um, Wait, let's, let's talk more about McLaren actually. Let's McLaren, just all right. Um, because look. Actually, wait, before we go on to, well, I mean, this is technically McLaren, but I want to talk about the newer drivers on, like, the drivers who switch teams and whatnot. Like, okay, you okay. like he's a new driver, so we've talked extensively about him, but I want to talk about Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. So, Ricciardo, he moved from Renault, well, Alpine now, I guess, but he moved from Renault to McLaren. I mean, that tells us, I mean, that really tells us what he believes the Alpine is at. Like, it, he believes it's a trash, and he's just not going to be, getting what he wants from it. So McLaren have a lot to deliver because he initially rejected McLaren in 2019, if you remember. His, he looked at Renault's development plan and thought, yes, this looks good. The, the year he joined, McLaren became ultra competitive. They dominated the midfield that year. Um, versus Renault being found in the middle of nowhere. They, they only finished fifth, even though their pace deficit wasn't actually that terrible. Um, yes, he did get podiums last year, but he was promised that he'd get a podium in 2019 almost. And he had to wait quite a while into 2020 before he got a podium. Yeah, so, so th- I mean... Whereas McLaren, last, whereas McLaren, the first race of 2020, they got a podium. And what's more impressive is that the driver in question, Lando Norris, he managed to outpace a Mercedes. Like, the lap Lando delivered was faster than the leading than the fastest lap of Valtteri Bottas's Mercedes, probably 12, 11, Sorry, I yeah. mean, it's impressive. The MCL thirty five last year was using a Renault engine on top of that, which was significantly weaker than the Mercedes engine. So, and McLaren got the first podium, their second podium in two years, uh, um, directly after. They're at the beginning of the season, and they went on to win to finish P3 in the constructors this year. P3, their highest results since 2012. Yeah, but I mean, like, um, right. So obviously, McLaren's um, gonna do better with like the new power units as well, new components from Mercedes, which is obviously gonna benefit them. Yeah. But let's move on to the next new driver, um, Fernando Alonso. Well, the returning driver. Yeah, more of the return. But, I mean, obviously, he hasn't been active in the F1 grid for uh, some years now. That being said, we should should talk about how he has been active in pretty much every other form of motorsport you can think of. He's done the Paris-Dakar. He's won Le Mans twice now. And he's he's a two-time WEC champion. He's tried his hand at the Indy 500, where his engine decided to say nope on him multiple times. Um, what else is there? Uh, I mean, Fernando Alonso has done a lot of motor racing ever since he left F1. And his return, I mean, most people aren't really, are a little bit surprised by it, actually. Yeah, because- to be honest, uh, I was skeptical because obviously, right, you can do a lot of more types of motor racing, right? But Formula One is something else, right? It's always going to be like that. It's it's just different. Honestly, right? the closest thing to Formula One he did was IndyCar. IndyCar, exactly. And even plus, then, so, even then, it's not like he was. It's not like the Indy IndyCars can be comparable to Formula One cars because yeah. So like, I'm not saying that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Fernando Alonso's performance will be bad in any way. But I'm just saying that the other people who are already on the grid and people who have been driving in similar cars, like F2 cars who graduated to F1 cars this year, 
those people are going to just outperform him. I don't see him like performing. Outperform, but I'd say they'd be more in. I'd say they'd be more comfortable initially. It's going to take a like knowing Alonso, he'll get up to speed pretty quickly. But for the first couple of races, we'll be wondering. At least what I believe is that we'll be wondering is that is this really Fernando? Like he should be doing better than this. Right. Yeah. So that obviously we cannot tell right now, but we will soon see how he will perform. Yeah, his teammate. I'm actually surprised we kind of almost forgot about his teammate, Esteban Ocon. See, look, Ocon got his first podium last year. Another thing that most people forget. The same race that Sergio Perez won for the first time in Formula One, Esteban Ocon was P2 and Lance Stroll was P3. And I mean, that was a that was a good result for Esteban. He deserves that podium. Fair and square. He, you know, the car had the pace, and he did, and he got it there on merit. I mean, granted, the Mercedes did have to screw up badly, but that doesn't change the fact that that Esteban was there on merit. His pace was there, and it was good enough to get him a podium. Right. But the thing is, he was so inconsistent last year. I mean, he got almost half of what Daniel scored. Half. Like, That's right. Tally, you cannot be 50% of your teammate. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Lando Norris and I mean the, the only one that was worse than that pretty much was Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc, where Charles managed to drag unbelievable performance from the SF1000, where Sebastian Vettel was stuck in the in the very low points regions. Like he, some, most races he didn't even get a point. I mean, getting that podium in Turkey really showed us that Sebastian Vettel still got it when the car when he's in tune with the car. But the issue was. She just was never in tune with that SF1000. I mean, it was an abysmal car, frankly. Yep. Um, and that actually leads me very nicely into the next talking point. Ferrari. Yep. And Ferrari. So we have Carl, uh, Carlos Sainz, the new driver, and the reigning driver of uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, obviously, Charles Leclerc well, doesn't have plenty of experience with it. I feel that um, he is going to do really well, considering yes. that um, in these Benotto and the performance-wise, the car seems to be better. Okay, so uh, one thing we need to talk about is that Ferrari has actually had a major restructure of their um of their entire team structure. Actually, their team structure has been reorganized. So now there are heads of engine development, heads of chassis, um, there are heads of various aspects of the car who all report directly to Benotto. The idea is, is that because Benotto is a much more technically minded person, he can under he understands which areas we can that the cars need to improve on and then he can and everyone can coordinate more easily when they report to one person as opposed to just arguing all the time and honestly about the car i mean first of all if we remove that green um mission window logo it looks great like removing the mission window logo the that green abomination the car looks great that beautiful transition to burgundy is a nice is a nice way of reminding us that you know ferrari was once racing in burgundy not in red it's a it, it's a really nice car and in terms of actual pace the sf21 i think it's definitely going to be better than last year's sf1000 because let's look at what ferrari spent like what ferrari actually tried to develop the hardest they they were very open about how they spent their development tokens on the engine which, as we all know, was the worst last year. On the grid, the Ferrari power unit last year was easily the worst. And Ferrari has said that the dyno results of their new engine seem promising. They're getting about 20 horsepower more, or maybe even greater, but it still isn't in. 
it might not be a huge leap, but early leap is welcome. And more importantly, I think they've optimized cooling more, so they should be able to run at higher power for longer. And more importantly, I think they've significantly reduced drive on their car. Like one of Ferrari's main issues last year was that even is that the car was extremely draggy, but it was producing very low downforce for the amount of drag it was producing. It had no pace in the corners and the straights. Well, I mean, it was sitting duck. The Ferrari last year was horrible, actually. So they had a new. So the car clearly is much less draggy this year. I mean, day three, Carlos Sainz was only 0.6 of a second behind Max Verstappen. So it's obvious that the Ferrari is finally getting some real pace. Ferrari have finally found some actual pace from their car and they know yeah. what they're doing. But you have to take everything with a grain of salt because we don't know whether Max was going flat out or not. You can check the onboard, sure, but that doesn't really tell us anything. Right, yeah. And um, I mean, frankly, to be honest, I think just the fact that he even, no matter what, even if Max Verstappen wasn't going flat out or if he was, the fact that he was able to even like, you know, produce like you know decent results or quite frankly good results out of a car that you know you've you know driven very little in is very promising for Ferrari considering that they already have Charles Leclerc who did well with a bad car and now they have a better car he'll perform better Carlos Sainz also is going to perform well it's very promising for um Ferrari maybe they'll jump like up to fourth maybe and you know maybe we'll get surprised Ferrari has said that their target for this year is to finish third minimum and Honestly, it looks doable. I can't even yeah, think what... it looks doable. Yeah, so I mean, like, and you never know, right? Um, you can, I mean, until we see the first race, we'll, we will, we'll, once we see the first race, I feel we'll get like a good idea on where everybody's sitting, where all the teams are sitting, uh, on like reliability, on like power, who's the fastest down yeah. the straight, who's the fastest in the corners, that the, those um, uh, statistics. Right, so I think after Ferrari, we can talk about Haas. Um, okay, two new drivers, Nikita yeah. Mazepin so and Schumacher. Mm -hmm. The F2 champion and a decent F2 driver. Yeah. See, look, I'm expecting great things from Mick, I'll be honest. As, in terms of actual pace, I think the Haas is comfortably going to be the slowest car this year. Haas have publicly stated that they're not going to develop their car this year. Yeah, they're, they're aiming for the 2022, right? They're looking, yeah, they're putting all their resources towards 2022, which, you know what? I will admit that that is a very good strategy. That is a genius idea, but... Yeah, it's, it's quite smart. Because what, what they're basically doing, right, is basically giving their drivers experience, setting them up for a year, which their car will do much better in. And that's, you know, it's frankly quite smart, well, considering that... The thing is, I, should, I think you should rephrase that. The car better do well in... 2022. Yeah. They have they have abandoned 2021. They've been very public about that. They have abandoned 2021, yeah. and that as a result, the car, whatever the pace is right now, it's going to remain in that. It's just that simple. Has need to ensure that they do not that they keep the fate of Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. I think ironically, they need to keep the faith of Mazepin more than they need to keep the faith of Schumacher because Mazepin is the one with the money. Schumacher, even though he's a money name, um, it's still going to be very difficult. To, it's still like if they lose faith in Haas, then they are screwed. It's just that simple. Yeah. So I mean, like obviously the 2022. I feel like Haas is now like uh, on like until now and for now, 
passes just like you know where the new drivers just come up get like a year or two of experience and then they just go to the proper teams right that's what it feels like so the ferrari c team is basically Haas right now Haas exactly. are basically the ferrari uh, basically the ferrari equivalent of alfa tauri for red bull yeah so i mean alfa romeo I, yeah i expect um it's, it's going to be nick de mazpin and mick schumacher are going to perform well um, they're going to perform relatively well to up to like their car standards, yeah. and they're going to. It's not. It's they're not going to be like one of. The, I don't think they're going to make one of those no shows where they just completely upset. Um, they'll I, just do as good as their car limits them to. I feel that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I mean, I think me and the motorsport world, frankly, are expecting amazing things from Mick Schumacher, but I feel like this is. But I'm also feeling kind of sorry for the guy. I mean, like, think about it. This guy, he's only 21, 22. And yet he's carrying, and yet his name is the name of the single, of one of the greatest racing drivers in history. He has a lot of weight on his shoulders. He has a lot of expectations to perform. Right. But I feel, yeah. He's in Formula 2. But if he doesn't prove himself in Formula 1, I mean, it's going to hurt him more than it's going to, it's going to hurt him and his reputation, frankly. No, Michael's reputation can't be touched. Michael is just a legend, and I really hope he get he gets well soon. Michael's been stuck in the um, what's it called? Um, yeah, he's been stuck in hospital for so long. I really hope the guy gets better. But Mick Schumacher, I mean, he's got such a huge weight on his shoulders. He has to perform. Like he doesn't have another choice. I mean, to be honest, I don't really see that right because i mean obviously right if we look at the past mick schumacher always takes time right to settle into a sport and then he once he gets going he really gets going so i feel like we really shouldn't look at him as you know michael schumacher's son we should see him as just the rookie driver who's come in to f1 who has he was very promising as the number one seed in f2 that's how we should look at him not as the son because and like even even Nick Demasman, right? He might have had his controversies, this thing, right? But all in all, he's a good driver. He in preseason he showed his results. They're not terrible. Uh, he obviously shows he's a capable driver, right? So I feel that's yeah. how we should look at both of them for now, at least. Yeah. Now let's move on to Alfa Romeo. From in terms of driver standpoint, I mean Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Giovinazzi yeah. proved he's got pace last year. Like he's a bit of he was a bit of a quiet sensation actually. He did perform extremely well in that car. Considering that it was in the class C, he performed pretty well for a class C car. Well, in quotes at least. Um, but he needs to prove his consistency. Like that's always been Giovinazzi's like, you know, issue. I was in the three years, well, this is gonna be a study of racing in the sport, I think. Yeah. yeah, third year. Third year. It's going to be his third year in Formula One, and he's he has a lot to prove. Like he needs to prove that he is consistent. Frankly, yeah. I think he. I don't think it's an issue with his pace. His pace is obviously there. I mean, Kimi just is able to extract more because, well, I mean, look who we're talking about. Yeah. But Antonio really needs to prove that he's a consistent and reliable driver. If he isn't able to prove that, then he's going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere. He won't be able to do anything in the future. Yeah. 
And I feel like Kimi Raikkonen really, we, there's, I don't think there's any expectations for him because the fact that, he, I mean, it's, 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 everybody knows that he just, he drives purely for the pleasure of it, right? He enjoys racing and that's why he does it. So, I mean, there, we can't expect anything out of him. Maybe some like good performances here and there, but you can't any, set any standards because he's already towards, he's in, towards like, he's finished his career, right? He had his career. He was one of his world championships. This is the most experienced driver in Formula One history now. Yeah. Having over three oh, over three hundred and twenty something races or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. He's driven so, both laps in Formula One. He's driven the lo- the longest distance in Formula One. He has dri- been in Formula One for a bullshit amount of seasons. Yeah. I mean Kimi Raikkonen, he's a spent force. Let's be honest. He's no longer gonna get that speed that he once had. Frankly, I feel that he's going to retire after this year. If he doesn't, then I think he's just, he's just, it's a joke to him at that point. Yeah. So, right. So now we've talked about Haas. We've talked about um, Alfa Romeo. I think we now talk about Williams, right? Williams. (laughs) That's the one thing I took away from pre-testing, actually. Williams were a lot faster than I thought they'd be. And honestly, I can't tell you why. Williams weren't very specific about where they spent their development tokens, but they definitely spent it towards the rear of the car and in terms of chassis or maybe something internal, it's unclear. But one thing that is very certain is that their car is actually finally at the minimum weight limit. Their car is actually at a very good weight. They can now use ballasts advantageously. Their car is at a good level of weight. And in fact, it seems like in terms of actual downforce, it's not bad. In terms of aerodynamics, it's also not a bad car either. Williams have finally found some genuine pace in their car. Admittedly, it's probably not enough for them to break out of the Class C group, but I do think they're in with a solid chance of beating either Haas or Alfa Romeo this year. Yeah, yeah, that's... Their goal should be to score at least one point, but... I think the Williams is a lot faster than than people realize. I mean, Alfa Romeo and Haas are clearly very far, are clearly, you know, going to be, it's going to be stiff competition, but Williams have definitely got some good pace this year, both in long run and short run. I mean, looking at preseason stats, George Russell finished day three in the sixth place, ahead of Daniel Ricciardo and Sergio Perez, and Alonso and Charles and much and many more big names. And he recorded the second most laps that day. And his pace was only 1.1 seconds off of Stappen. I mean, admittedly, that doesn't really mean much, but it's a Williams that's in P6. And in the previous two tests, they were all, they were at the bottom of the field, even when they pushed flat out. The fact that yeah. Williams... And George was probably going for a long run pace as well, not short run pace, looking at the number of his laps. The fact that he was able to push, that he was able to run that Williams that long get, and get a good time tells us a lot. That Williams is actually fast. I'm actually very happy for Williams because last year it was one of their saddest moments. The family name left, the family left Formula One after 40 something years. It was right. a sad moment for the sport. But now, there's hope again. Williams have finally, with new investment and whatnot, Williams have got to a place where they can compete somewhat effectively. They're good. They're in a very good stage of rebuilding. They are. A, they have proven right now, to me at least, they're showing that you know what we're actually able to rebuild properly. Yes, we're, we've been bad in these pr- previous couple of seasons, 
But now we have hope we can go fast again. Williams is actually doing well and their livery. Okay, fine. In terms of the actual art, I think the livery is a bit of a mixed bag. I don't know what to think of it. Um, but Williams clearly know what they're doing. It's an, they're a historic team. They deserve to be in the sport and they're proving it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in terms of uh, drivers, I think, I mean, it's, I mean, George Russell, um, I think he'll perform well again. George and, performs everything, actually. I think he's able to, George nearly dragged out Williams to points last year. But um, yeah, really the main issue Williams have right now is Nicholas Latifi, but I'm willing to forgive him. Last year was his first, was his first season. Yeah, exactly. So I think Nicholas Latifi will, again, he'll improve himself as a driver. And I feel he'll be able to perform more consistently uh, when, with up to George uh, George Russell's uh, standards. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at the day he ran in preseason testing, he, I mean, Williams ran a pretty interesting system, actually. Day one, they had their reserve driver. Yeah, Roy day, uh, day two, they had uh, Mazepin. I mean, not Mazepin, what am I saying? Uh, Latifi in. And day three was Russell's turn. But Latifi finished P7 in day two. And George finished P6 in day three. So, you know, the, and the pace different deficit to the front. I mean, yes, Valtteri Bottas' time was a 130.2 and and Max's time was a 128.9. Mm-hmm. But still, they were both around 1.2-ish seconds off pace, which is actually pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So I think that concludes with Williams. I think we've... Uh, We've talked, talked about extensively all about the teams. other teams, but I think the two teams we haven't talked enough about, at least for me, we haven't talked enough about Red Bull Mercedes. Not just Red Bull and Mercedes, but Aston Martin as well, actually. I mean, I know we talked about them, but actually, I feel like they des- we need to talk about them more. Because let's first talk about Mercedes, actually. See, look, the W12, it's interesting. It's fast, yes, but it seems to be a bit of a fragile one and an unstable one. In fact, according to the Mercedes technical director, he himself said that he feel, I forgot his name, so I'm sorry, but he says himself that um, he believes that Mercedes is slower than Red Bull this year. He feels that Mercedes are in a similar position to Red Bull. Now, previous seasons, we, um, we would, I mean, at this point, it's hard for any of us to believe that, frankly, because I mean, look who we're talking about. This is Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But this season, I'm somewhat more inclined to believe him because in the previous seasons, he didn't seem too concerned. He didn't seem too vocal about which team he was slower than. He just said that no. He just seemed to be saying that you know the Mercedes is just fast. That's how it is. We don't know what our rivals are like, but we're yeah. Fast. But now they're con- he's talking about Red Bull being like I, I'm I'm quoting this year uh, a different animal, and uh, he said that we're just not quick enough. So that was the Mercedes technical director saying that like you. That is a that is the most senior man in the Mercedes in the Mercedes garage, in terms of the performance at least. He is the yeah. one who tell who basically tells what direction to develop the car in, and in, and somewhat ironically, I think Mercedes is struggling with the same issue that Red Bull had last year. Red Bull's issue last year was a very twitchy car and a very very sensitive car, to, and which had a loose rear end. Mercedes have a loose rear rear end. Hamilton decided to spin on like day two and day three, which um, 
which is quite interesting considering, you know, with the experience he has. And also, um, uh, Hamilton, um, Hamilton himself said we're not quick enough, which means that confidence-wise, Mercedes do not look that great. Because I feel like um, right now, right, suppose you finish, if you're Mercedes right now, you finish pre-season testing and you see the results. You see that Red Bull's way faster than you. You're still, you're, you did good. It's not like you did bad. You're still going to be top at the top of the leaderboard, but are you going to come first? And and that's when you start like looking at like how flawless Red Bull was, right? So I'm going to yeah. start talking about Red Bull about here, right? They had a flawless run. They had three days, two drivers. They just went lap after lap, after lap consistency. Um, they had good speed, good pace. I mean, I don't know what there wasn't. Pace, one lap short, one lap, multiple laps. You know, reliability. Everything was going perfect for Red Bull. Exactly, and then and then and then if you're Mercedes, that Red Bull had the only issue was in day two when Sergio Perez moved to overtake Latifi's Williams. All of a sudden, his car just decided to explode, and you saw the inter- the Honda engine. But apart from that, you know, Red Bull had a very solid, had a very good preseason. They racked up, I think, the third most laps, and their car proved itself reliable and ultra quick. I mean, this uh, this thing was really, really fast. It's it's kind of ironic, actually, because given all the regulations surrounding, like, given all the new regulations, you know, the now even floor and the shorter diffusers. People expected Red Bull to be worse off because it's a high rate velocity, but it looks like Mercedes have been hit much harder by the high, by this design. They're much, they're a low rate car, and here they are struggling for rear end stability. Right, and um, yeah. So if you're Mercedes, obviously you're gonna see your um. I mean, let's let's say the P. You decided they were the closest to you last year, right? They were the closest that anybody's come last year, right? Yeah. But then you see that. Oh no, they had a flawless test run. Oh no, they didn't run into any problems like we did. We're getting a lot of problems now. We're having a terrible rear end. We're having a reliability issues. We're having confidence issues. And all this might pile up. And if they do not fix these kind uh, these issues in time, I actually might see we might be seeing a Red Bull one two finish in the first race this year. We might see Red Bull getting a championship for the first time since 2013 as well. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of interesting things. Okay, so this is for Mercedes and Red Bull, right? It, I think la- I think when we predicted how, how it's going to come out, I think we talked um, on how Red Bull is going to do really well, but I think Mercedes is just going to edge. Maybe, uh, seeing previous testing now, maybe Red Bull might just have the edge. I mean, honestly, we can't predict this effectively from preseason because we don't right, know right. What, but what sort of... From what, yeah, true, true. But from what we're seeing and what from the drivers are saying, um, like, for example, like Sergio Perez seems to have be, seems to be very comfortable in the new car. He's um, showing his trademark consistency. Like, one of Perez's most defining traits is his in is his unbelievable consistency in keeping the car at a very per, per respectable very their perfect pace he's right. such a consistent driver you can rely on him this guy is now a race winner and he's got something like he's got nearly 20 podiums under his belt this guy knows what he's doing he's dragged results out of cars when he needs to but he has shown that when he has a good car he can put it where it deserves Right, and now he's got the best car of his career, the best car of his career. Yeah, and and now and now potentially 
you could even beat Max Verstappen now. You could potentially be. You could become the world champion potentially. You can oust Lewis Hamilton, the seven-time world champion. You can place over him every single race. Honestly, There's so many possibilities right now where Mercedes just doesn't come top. I think this year, as this is the beginning of the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, I think this year there are actually four title contenders. Valtteri Bottas is motivated on it. He wants that world championship. Right. I mean, he's going for his eighth world championship. He wants to murder Great all the record. Players. Yeah. The and then obviously you have somebody young, uh, Max Verstappen. He's yeah, been he's, he's been, been crazy. Yeah, he yeah he's exactly. Sure than he was a couple of years ago, so he knows what fights to pick and what not to. He knows what to do right now, but Max Verstappen is motivated on it. And Sergio Perez, he's he, he's just he's just when you put a consistent driver in a good car, you're just going to see results, and those results just just might tally into a you know world champion. So I mean. Obviously, I don't think Sergio Perez's goal is going to be, you know, for a world title. It's more like win more races, you know, win one or two, three yeah. more races, you know, get some this thing. Try. The, I think his main goal should be to keep the Red Bull seat. Perform well enough so that Red Bull give you a multi-year contract. They say, oh my god, this is a great driver. We need this guy on our team. I honestly don't think Perez will have an issue with that. If that somehow becomes Perez's issue, then what that means is that there's an issue with that Red Bull car. It's not an issue with the, with the driver because you cannot blame Sergio for a lack of performance this year. If yeah, but we have to, but that's the thing, right? We can't tell. So, like, we can only like, suppose, right? We, I mean, this is very unlikely to happen, right? But suppose his performance drastically decreases, but I don't see this happening. I so I feel like... Um, no, but like, I feel like if I was Sergio Perez, the main thing I would be looking at longevity. How long am I going to be in such a good car? How, how What do I have to do to be in such a good car I mean, for a long time? What Bull are expecting, I mean, what Red Bull are expecting is fairly simple. Right now, there's pretty, Mercedes and Red Bull are basically the two best teams on the grid. So what they're expecting is that Perez regularly finishes within at least the top six or top five. Yeah, so Perez can be that extra amount of points that they were lacking with Yeah, and if if Max somehow underperforms or if he crashes, Perez needs to be there on that podium. Yeah, ex exactly. exactly. So I feel like Red Bull is, has finally found the right driver to complement Max Verstappen. Yeah. And so, which is very good for Red Bull, right? And if Sergio Perez performs and does, even if he doesn't like win the most races, right? Suppose Max Verstappen is winning more and he at least he's getting consistency, right? Podiums and points. That's more than enough, for, I think, for a reason for Red Bull to keep... Um, um, yeah, Sergio Perez. But I think that's his main thing. So um, ideally, I think it's um, going to be three drivers actually, because I don't think Sergio Perez will be actually, you know, trying to compete. I think what he needs to focus on is more consistency, and you know, just showing that he's a great driver for Red Bull. I mean, yeah, that's true. But you can, I mean, you never know. Honestly, you never know. You never but know. But Sergio Perez, I think he, I think you're right. He's most likely just going to stick to, just you know, keeping himself in Red Bull. And right. finally, I honestly want to talk about the the best looking car on the grid, like by far. I can't even, uh, I can't, I can see the American arguing for the Alpine or the Red Bull, but I'm sorry, the Aston Martin this year is the single best looking car on the grid, like by far. It's got, I mean, it's just beautiful. That, that British racing green, they know what to do with their car. But, and I mean, in terms of pace, Lance Stroll, obviously, look, Lance is obviously on the pace. He's right. used to that car. He raced with it last year, and 
you know, he got a pole position last year, for God's sake. A bloody pole position. He knows right. what he's so, doing in that car. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, so um, out of the two drivers, I feel like obviously Lance, I feel like Lance Rowe is obviously going to do better than Sebastian Vettel. Simply be, so. Not because so. Vettel's a bad driver, it's simply because it's more that... He's not um, used to the car. Yes, yeah, Stroll knows his car, and Stroll also... I feel like Stroll is on the increase while um, Sebastian Vettel is now on the de- decline of his well, career. Sebastian signed this contract wanting to develop this team into a championship contender. Right, that's, so I see I see Sebastian Vettel more of like a more of like a, a leader figurehead kind of honestly, role. Honestly, a good more deal. Than, a good deal for Sebastian. Yeah. Because you're signing for Aston Martin Racing, a, an evocative British name, you know. And he's done well when the team... I mean, look, honestly, I w- I'm one of his big... I love Sebastian Vettel. He's my favorite driver on the grid. And I will admit he has... There are some serious issues with Sebastian Vettel. I mean, like, one example is just, like, he really loves it when the team supports him that much. Like, he needs a hugely supportive team, more so than a lot of drivers than you think. So, I mean, it is, re- it is a lot more difficult to get like that in something like Ferrari. So he should do a lot better in Aston Martin compared to Ferrari, where, like, you know, it's such a difficult environment to work in. Aston Martin, you know, they're a building team. So any advice he he can give them based on purely his experience and his merit as a four-time world champion, they would welcome it. I mean, this is a guy who who overcame a 40-point deficit to win the 2012 World Championship from Fernando Alonso. And this guy was barely even a title contender throughout 2010 until the last couple of races in the season, and he still somehow won that championship. Right. I mean, this is a driver who knows what he's doing, who knows how to fight at the sharp end. The Sebastian Vettel's um, anything he can tell Aston Martin to improve their car, to what to change, how to make it better, they will accept it with great with graciousness, and they will just go for it. You know, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't perform well, they they will be he will be more than happy in that team. And I think as a result, his performance is going to increase ridiculously. He might get a couple of podiums this year. You never know. Yeah, I mean, that's Aston what. Definitely has a pace for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Aston, I feel are going to sit comfortably in like the midfield. Um, I don't see them exceptionally performing exceptionally well or exceptionally bad. So yeah, that's about it. I think that concludes our you know. Uh, some summary of our uh, preseason for every um, race uh, team in the grid. Yeah, for the teams wise, we're pretty much done. I mean, I do want to talk about the about the new about the new um, tracks being added this year because it's gone to a twenty three race calendar. I mean, Jesus, what the hell? Yeah. Hours, so I mean, like, I feel like more races um, is. I think there's two things that can happen. Either one driver is going to really dominate and there's going to be no chance, or we're going to get a very, very, very competitive 2021. I mean, one thing is for certain, there's more chances to screw up everything. It's just that simple. Yeah. So, like, because there's just, because the thing is, right, because there's more races, there's more points to be earned, which means that even if you make a mistake, even if you win two races, that's not even close to enough. Because the amount of points that you can get in the other 21 races is just a a, a different amount. And consistency, I feel, is going to be the real winner here. Whoever has the most consistent results is just going to win the championship in the end. That is so true. I mean, the tracks this year. So let's look at some of the ones that were there last year that returned. Imola, 
I mean, what the hell? Imola's returning. Portimao's returning. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. We're finally seeing Zandvoort return after such a long time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're getting a new track, Jeddah, the Saudi Arabian street circuit. Yeah. I mean, there are so many new, there are so many new challenges for the drivers to face. I mean, and half the tracks on the calendar, on the calendar this year, they didn't raise that last year. I mean, uh, France wasn't there last year. Monaco wasn't there. Azerbaijan wasn't there. Canada wasn't there. Uh, what else wasn't there? Japan wasn't there. Singapore wasn't there. I mean, there are so many tracks this year that just weren't there last year. And that's a huge problem because the drivers just haven't been able to practice on those tracks. They won't be, they won't know what to expect. And this could result in um, a big, big, like, this could, this could change the face of it, frankly. We don't know what to expect this year because it's such a unique system, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So I, f- yeah. I mean, one thing is for, for certain though, like all the new drivers, they pretty much have to get up to speed by round three at Portmouth. If they don't get up to speed by Portimao, then then they're then we have to call them like then they're, they're seriously struggling. Basically, like if they aren't up to speed ne- this next week in Bahrain, they have to get up to speed in Portimao. Like they don't have another choice. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So overall, I think preseason uh, testing went well for everybody. Um, there was not really any, like, I would say, losers here. Everybody found out what they had to work on. Everybody found out what they need to improve on, what they need to, you know, work for the upcoming race. I think that's the main uh, goal of the preseason testing, which is great to see. And, yeah, I think I think that's about it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there isn't much else we can talk about from preseason. So next week, we will talk to you either... There. We'll talk to you after qualifying from Bahrain or maybe after the race. Yeah, to give like a quick summary or our thoughts on how the first race went. And this is going to be really interesting um, because it will basically kind of, you know, dictate the pace for the rest of the season, right? We'll see who's on top, who's in the bottom, how, how every I mean, single team is doing. Clear by Imola. It will be much more clear by Imola, mm-hmm. but the Bahrain will really tell us exactly what to expect. Exactly. So I think that's going to conclude this episode of yep. Formula One Talk. Well, thank you for tuning in. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. Please, please share this with as many people as you can. Follow the website and be and just be ready for more regular updates following the season. So yeah. For now, thank you for listening to us. Uh, take care. Stay safe, and we will see you next week. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.